You're here listening to Unite and Heal America with your host, Matt Mattern, and I've got uh, Allison Hurst from Safe Place for Youth as my guest here this afternoon, and so glad to have Allison on, have you on the show. My pleasure. I'm happy to join the conversation. Well, uh, just to let the audience know, I, I met you a few years back, and I was inspired by the work that you were doing for people who are homeless and uh, and that uh, over the last few years have seen your organization grow. And it's, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. Maybe you can just kind of briefly describe uh, what Safe Place for Youth is and uh, and then we'll kind of go back to the genesis story of how, how this all got started for you. Wonderful. So in short, we are an organization that is solely focused on transition-aged youth, youth that are aged 12 to 25 who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness, um, and primarily on the west side of Los Angeles, um, although we have young people who are coming from all over the county and all over the country out of state as well, but very in much smaller numbers out of state. So primarily we're focused on young people um, who are experiencing homelessness and we are providing a whole array of services from you know, basic needs, um, showers, food, clothing, hygiene um, uh, supports to uh, case management, counseling, educational employment, all the way through to um, housing supports. Um, so anything, a one-stop shop for anything a young person that is experiencing homelessness would need. So that's a lot of stuff that you're doing. But uh, I, I think in the beginning, how did it all start for you? And did you have a background in serving homeless youth uh, prior to uh, starting this organization? I did not. I am... Um, I started because I, I am also first and foremost a community member. I've lived um, on the west side in a place called Mar Vista in Los Angeles for um, 20 years. And at a certain point, my children um, became middle school age children and were venturing out in the community more. And I would go to the Venice boardwalk um, because my son was an avid skateboarder and soon to discover that um, we had a, a, a large group of unaccompanied um, young people who were um, living on the streets in our community. And I was pretty shocked and appalled by this and um, had never really seen anything on that scale and started to unpack and unpick, you know, what what existed. Because I was a, at the time I was a garden designer and knew nothing about this field and um, was shocked to discuss discover that there were very few resources for young people, especially on the west side of Los Angeles. Um, on the east side, there were a bunch of service providers doing a great job providing to young people. But on the West side, it was few and far between resources. And quite frankly, um, service providers didn't quite know what to do with the young people um, on the West side. So myself and a, a bunch of other volunteers began doing what we knew to do, which was that people were hungry. So we would hand out food packs and specifically targeting young people to build relationships and then therefore um, uh, direct young people to available resources, which at that time were very few and far between. So then what was your next step? Uh, and that was approximately uh, 10 years ago. Uh, 
Is that correct? Yeah, it's a little more than 10 years ago. So for, for, for a few years, it's about 14 years ago. Um, for a few years, we just did that. We panned out food packs. You know, it was very, very simple. And then um, really what began to happen was exactly how SPY has continued to grow and become um, the size it is now and, and, and able to provide the level of resources that we are. So it's all about partnership. Um, I'm sure that you found this in you in your life. You know, partnership is everything. So w- one of the first steps I made was to to connect with other providers that were doing work related in this field, other providers that were specifically focused on youth. And I partnered with um, an organization that no longer exists or was absorbed into a larger organization. And just as they were dissolving it was my my good fortune because the people that worked in that specific youth focus program then came over to work at spy so we partnered for a while in a church in venice and and then pretty not too shortly after that they they um merged with a, a large um organization called venice family clinic and the youth piece of it dissolved and we we took a lot of the work on and um, and the rest was history and and literally everything we have done since has been built off the back of um really focusing on partnership and how to leverage um partnership to for the success of 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 our organizations so you know it's quite a story coming from just handing out sandwiches and socks and things like that to, to kids on the boardwalk on, in Venice to now having an organization that um, is pretty substantial. Um, I, I believe that you have, what, uh, 50 or more employees or 70. Uh, tell us about that and, and uh, the type of work that you're doing now and, and how that's evolved. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 50 employees was two years ago. We're at 85 employees now. Um, we, um, our budget um, is around 7 million now. Um, and we have moved aggressively into housing young people as well. So we have um, on any given night um, up to 100 young people are off, moved to safety off the street because of our housing resources. At the same time as continuing to do the work that we were known for, which is our street outreach and engagement, our case management and our basic services. So we have grown tremendously over the last few, um, last 10 years, but it primarily over the last five years, our budget has doubled and we've doubled the number of staff in the last five years. And I would say that the driver of that was both need of course, the need is there, and the level of um, uh, advocacy that happened on a more of a um, uh, countywide level, so that the um, the systems, the people that were driving the systems and both funding the systems, rec- recognized that it was uh, necessary to have youth-specific services rather than having the the services for young people um, interwoven with other 
single adult or chronically homeless services, which clearly was not working because young people don't access services in the same way um, and don't experience homelessness in the same way. So, um, yeah, we've seen tremendous growth and um, feel very fortunate that we are able to now um, provide the level of resources and services that we are to young people and quite frankly have changed um, the way that young people are um, engaging in services. Well, I, I found it to be inspiring when I came and visited your your place there on uh, Lincoln Boulevard, where there were probably 100 or more youth there and engaged in various different activities from job uh, search to dealing uh, art projects to uh, drug rehab type uh, you know, counseling to to all all forms of different um, services that I think helped various people at various places where they were along the spectrum. Uh, maybe you could give kind of our listeners a little bit better sense of of where you're where you're catching people at and why you provide such an array of services. I'm glad that you brought that piece up because I think that has been um, part of why we have been so successful in youth engagement, because we recognized early on and through, you know, partnership and collaboration with other providers that the way that young people engage is through um, collaboration and building relationships, collaboration with each other and collaboration with the community and and building relationships. So we set about to create a space that was what we call low barrier, meaning we don't want to put any roadblocks in the way of anybody accessing our services. Now, if we were showing or our, 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 our delivering services by saying, come on, young people, come straight off the streets and um, sign up for, you know, 12 weeks of intensive um, uh, counselling. I don't think we'd get many people taking us up on that. So we and our team, um, talk about our amazing team, recognise that, you know, young people like to engage in music or art or simply playing games or, you know, various other activities. And through those activities, they then created relationships with our team members that then gave them the um, trust and confidence to then sign up for counselling, sign up for case management, start to think about how to get back into school. So it's, it's really about engagement. So, you know, the young people that are on all of our streets across the country and across our county are disconnected youth and they need to be connected back in again. But we must do this in a way that speaks their language. And so this environment that we created that you just did a great job of beautifully describing where it was vibrant and colorful and there's activities all over the place to appeal to individual youth was was our objective was that was our way of capturing those young people in our services well uh it sounds like an a program of attraction rather than promotion and uh sometimes that is uh, a valuable way to approach anyone. And you've been listening to Alison Hurst, the director of SPY and 
We will be back in just a minute with Unite and Heal America. I'm Matt Mattern on KBC 790. You're back with Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. My guest again, Allison Hurst from Safe Place for Youth. And we were just talking about how you uh, attract people, young people to come to the center there on Venice, I mean, on Lincoln Boulevard, and the uh, the things that you've helped accomplish. Uh, now, just kind of giving the audience a little background on the problem that faces LA County, we've got, I believe, 4,600 plus homeless youth in the county. Approximately 23% come from foster care. And uh, your organization has helped house 277 youth just in the last year. It's a pretty, uh, pretty amazing accomplishment uh, for you all over there. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, and you talk about the um, the, the almost five thousand youth. That's a way undercount. It's our young people are historically really challenging to count. Um, they fly way under the radar. Um, they, you know, they're often termed as the hidden homeless, and are um, historically falling into homelessness at a faster rate than any other population. Um, so, yeah, that number, we as providers across the county believe that the number is closer to around 10,000 young people um, that are experiencing homelessness at one, one time or another. Um, but, yeah, we're fortunate enough that the, the advocacy around um, creating a specific youth system was, was listened to and acted upon. And um, around five years ago, um, the what we call the Youth Coordinated Entry System was created. And, and my organization, SPY, is the lead for the service provider area that we live in on the west side. So that means that we have a, a, a team of folks that are focused on bringing all of the providers together to ensure that young people are delivered services and secondly, that when there are housing opportunities that the, we have what we call a matcher, that person connects a young person to a residential um, opportunity. So we are the, the lead for that on our, in our spa, among all of the other things that we do. Right. So it, it is a, a quite a network of different organizations that you interact with in order to, to actually get the housing for these homeless youth, uh, maybe you could explain a little bit more uh, how that looks and, and who are you working with to house hundreds of youth each year? So on, on the most basic level, we have our own housing. So we have um, our host homes program, which um, I know that you, you're particularly interested in, which is um, essentially utilizing empty bedrooms and people's residential and their homes to bridge this, the, a young person from the street to a more permanent housing solution. So we've placed, I think it's around 18 youth over the last couple of years into spare bedrooms in the average person's home, like myself and yourself, um, as, a, as bridge housing. So we've got that, pro- that, that opportunity. And we also have a program called The Nest, which is um, a, a program, a residential program for young families. Young families fall into homelessness at 
ridiculously high rates. And of course, you know, you bring children into the picture, it creates a complexity even above and beyond a single adult experiencing homelessness. So we have um, eight young families who are currently in our residential program in Inglewood called The Nest. We have another program called Roots to Grow, which is in partnership with our wonderful partner, Venice um, Community Housing. And we have 20 young people in two houses, two residential houses that are in its transitional housing. So they can stay up to three years. The goal is to have them transitioning into a more permanent housing um, opportunity after, you know, 12 to 15 months. Um, And then last but not least, most recently, um, a, a year ago, almost to the day, just before COVID hit, we launched our Bridge Home site, which is a bridge. There's 30 Bridge Home sites across the county that are funded through the mayor's office. And ours is in Venice, and it's in partnership with people assisting the homeless path. And we have um, 54 beds within a 154-bed shelter. And the 54 beds are specifically focused on youth. Um, So we have um, young people who are moving in there. And it's meant to be, again, a bridge from the streets to a more permanent solution. Now, of course, the biggest challenge is there are very few and far between permanent solutions. And that's why as a city and um, as a county and as a um, as a country, we need to be prioritizing, you know, how affordable housing, which is, of course, the, the driver for um, for the number of folks that we're seeing on our streets is it is literally unaffordable for people to um, survive anymore, especially those that are earning minimum wage. Um, It's impossible to afford um, an apartment in our community if you have a minimum wage job. That's, I always kind of wonder at uh, how anybody could survive at a minimum wage job or even even a job that's a, a little bit above the minimum wage. It's still the expenses that one encounters on a day-to-day basis are just crushing compared to that. And our cost of living here in Southern California is extremely high. I just saw a diagram that showed that uh, California needs 3.3 million housing units in order to meet the demand that we have here. So we really have to start building more uh, units very quickly in order to uh, address these concerns and uh, what are, what are you doing or what's your organization doing on that front? Well, I'm delighted to say that we have um, later this year we are breaking ground on our site on Lincoln, um, which currently is our day services, and we've partnered with again with our wonderful partner Venice Community Housing, and they will be developing the site to um, 40 units of permanent supportive housing, half of which will be for young people experiencing homelessness and half will be for um, single adults. And then on the ground floor of that project, we will move back in once it's developed and our day services are what we call our one-stop shop um, or access services, which are the, the pieces that you described earlier where a young person can come in and be part of a, a work readiness program or um, a participate in substance abuse um, counselling. Um, so I'm delighted that we are going to be part of those, those thousands of units that are coming online. But you mentioned something, you know, the message that, uh, that we all need to 
be giving is that we need to be saying yes in every community to every type of housing, whether it's, and, and just to kind of give a little bit of historical context, there was very much a move away from an array of housing a bunch of years ago to only building permanent supportive housing. And what we have now we're seeing is the consequences on our street, which is, you know, the streets are a place where we're holding people ready for when they can move into permanent housing because they're just is not enough and there will never be enough. So the pendulum has swung back again. Now we're recognizing that not only do we need what we in our in our field call interim housing, which is short-term housing, to bridge housing, to more transitional housing, which is still relatively short-term, to the more permanent housing, the permanent supportive housing um, or Section 8 housing. But we don't have enough of any of it and so we need to say yes to all of it. Um, and, you know, the consequence is that we, we won't be able to live and, and build our communities built off small individual family homes if we want everyone in our community to thrive along our um, commuter belt, our artery roads, our main roads where people are traveling to and from, from space to place to place. We're going to need to build up and we're going to need to build apartments. Um, we're going to need multifamily units because there's no way we can continue with this kind of sprawling suburb and, and hope to ever um, overcome the crisis that is our biggest crisis right now, which is folks surviving on our streets. Well, I, um, I agree with you. And I was just talking to Head Senator Wykowski on the program a few weeks ago. and. He is the author of a bill that passed a few years back, which allowed homeowners to build a second kind of mother-in-law unit on their property. And after that passed, there were thousands of units here in Los Angeles County that went forward and were built out. And obviously, we need thousands and thousands more, but at least it was a start. And I think it's something that could and should snowball further so that it helps the homeowners. They could maybe get some additional cash flow and it helps our community so it has more housing. And as you mentioned, that host homes program where a stipend is given to a homeowner who takes in a homeless person, I, uh, I had talked to a number of state legislators and uh, they were interested in the idea and hopefully we can maybe get it on the legislative agenda in the coming year. Uh, and that program Again, it, it's not the total solution to the problem, but it's a potential solution for some people. And even if it helped 10% of our homeless population, uh, that's a huge dent and it takes, it frees up a lot of resources for other parts of our solution. Couldn't agree more. It's our biggest resource that have empty bedrooms. I mean, we have you know, one and two people living in four or five bedroom houses is it's our biggest resource. Right. We could easily solve the problem just by having 100,000 plus people say yes to that. Uh, we'd have we'd have the problem solved. Now, I would. Why don't we uh, take a break now and we'll be back in just a minute. My guest, Allison Hurst from Safe Place for Youth. Uh, and uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern on KABC 790. We'll be back in a minute. You're back with Unite and Heal America. 
your host, Matt Mattern, and I've got Allison Hurst from Safe Place for Youth on the show today. Thanks, Allison, for being here and sharing with the listeners what's going on on the ground in our streets and the work that you're doing, your organization is doing to help relieve this problem. And uh, I applaud that work and, and encourage everybody to engage in it uh, because it's not going to, we're not going to solve this problem without people like ourselves jumping in. And that's one of the things I really inspired uh, by you as to seeing the genesis of your story of just being, Hey, a mom in the community, seeing this going on and, and jumping in and saying, Hey, how can I help this problem? And over that 14 year period, going from just a volunteer with no facility to a organization with $7 million, a $7 million budget and 85 employees and, and housing 277 youth uh, is an amazing accomplishment. And I believe you had said to me at uh, some point that you had 103 of uh, the youth find employment over the last year, which is also an incredible accomplishment. I wanted to turn your attention to the the issue of race and, and how it uh, plays out in the homeless community and the inequities that you have seen uh, and w- how we can address that. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the statistic, you know, 40% of the folks that are on our streets are black, while only 6% of the population in California is black. So there's no denying that there are, racist systems that are driving inequities in our community Um, from incarceration systems to, you know, just how we have kept people of color out of the housing market, not being able to move up the ladder and, and home purchasing with redlining and pre the uprising earlier last year, This was talked about and there were forums and spaces and it was recognized because it was undeniable to us as providers. You know, at SPY, around 75% of the young people we serve are BIPOC. Um, And, but it has accelerated quite rightly into the direction of, of the conversation is we need to, this needs to be our main focus. Why? What is driving that number of young people, of, of folks of color to homelessness? And what, what are the systems? What is um, the juvenile detention system doing? What is the foster care system? And what is their, their involvement in driving those numbers? And that is where I, I'm putting most of my focus now, being part of those groups to to kind of unpack. And then at the same time, thinking about within our system, within the homelessness system, how do we continue to ensure that the people within those systems look like the people who are receiving services? And in addition to having good representation of people of color within our organizations, but also ensuring that people 
in power within those organizations are people are BIPOC people because I don't think as a country and I, and I think of uh, the homeless services as a microcosm of the rest of of our society until we allow people of color to have power and be in those spaces dictating the shifts and changes that need to happen within our systems, nothing's going to change. It's going to continue to drive people of color to poverty, to homelessness, inequities within our education system. So I'm really glad that you asked that question. It's, it's, it, is, it is the work and so much so that we um, earlier this year um, a, a changed our mission statement to um, to explicitly call out um, racial and social inequity and how how that plays a part in why we even have to exist. Like the the goal, the ultimate goal for me and my organization is to do ourselves out of business. That's our ultimate goal. We don't want to need to exist because we've built up all of these other structures and systems but we are very far from that, as you know. Well, that is unfortunately true. Uh, I, was, I was curious as to the foster care system because that does seem to be a, a, a big driver into the homeless youth problem and probably into homeless individuals in general, that roughly 23% of the homeless youth population comes from foster care, which is a alarmingly high percentage, given that uh, I assume foster care uh, only accounts for maybe one or two percent of total uh, kids in, in uh, how they're raised. Yeah, it's, it's always historically since data has been collected and youth services being a big driver. In fact, you know, we're recognizing as we build our organization that are the way that we are um, accumulating data, we need to really look at how we're asking those questions because we know that at other agencies um, in other parts of town, they're getting a much higher number of young people who are um, uh, stating that they're from the foster care system. And I, the number that we have that we, that we um, show is really youth that were involved in the system in LA, but we know that so many more were involved in the system in other states and aren't eligible for the um, for the services that former foster youth are if they were um, homeless within our state. So yeah, it is a huge driver of um, system involved youth is is a big part of 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 who we are serving, and so much so that um, we work very hard with um, one of the big funders, um, which is the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, to ha- fund. A, what we call a system liaison position, a person who is working with um, DCFS and their, you know, their departments to to ensure that people are not rolling through their system and immediately falling into our system. You know, our system, the homeless system, picks up the pieces of the other systems that are failing. I mean that that so. We as providers and 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 thought partners right now are like thinking about how do we how do we move upstream to to 
stem the flow of folks that are coming down, coming down. And, you know, we know, I don't have the exact statistics, but we know the vast majority of the young people that we're serving who go on to be um, parents who then fall into homelessness were system involved. So there's huge correlation um, from, and you know, related to trauma and, and how, how when, you know, you've been through a system that is so traumatizing, how do you how do you then work with that person to build um, the skill set or the resources or the resiliency needed to overcome what is a very challenging thing to overcome, which is poverty? Right. And I, I would imagine the same or worse can be said from the juvenile detention system and uh, what uh, kids experience when they go into that system and how they. Uh, you know, their path forward upon leaving is not a good one. Absolutely. And, you know, we have a system in this country that is just simply unethical. It is when we're trying young people and putting them in um, adult jails and, um, and, you know, it is just, and it's not a world I know a tremendous amount about. It does definitely collide with our world. And I know some great people that are working on restorative justice. And I think we've made great strides in the county um, of, of late recently. Um, and, I, and I hope that work continues because it is, it, it has the trauma that is caused um, by placing young people in detention for minor infractions and and then not only in a juvenile system, but trying them as adults at such a young age that the, the trauma is at times, you know, absolutely impossible to recover from. Well, I know that uh, on, a, on a much different level, we've seen cases and kind of helped you and other organizations out with, with uh, youth that had tickets from, um, from various uh, police organizations for being out in public and minor offenses, but they get on their records and they, they are hard to expunge and things of that nature, which uh, it, it doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it's an impediment to employment. It's an impediment to getting a home just perpetuates poverty essentially it locks you into to that to 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 your and narrows your options down you know it's it's it just doesn't serve any purpose and i'm really grateful for your team and we've been working with a um a non-profit law firm called betsedic for many years and public council as well where we've been working on providing ticket clinics and, and, and working with some young people who've been on the streets have, you know, got 10, 15 tickets and it, it, it's just impossible for them to ever pay the charges. It's impossible. You know, that system alone for somebody who is housed, who has access to a computer is a challenge to navigate, but it, add to it that you're unhoused. You have no way of kind of, uh, collecting mail on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a kind of consistent basis. So it's just impossible. Right. And you, you just, uh, just hearkening back to my youth and getting tickets or whatever, things like that. When you have the resources of a family to draw upon, it's far easier to deal with those things. And, and it's all, it's everything from having somebody who can help you navigate it as a parent to, 
having the monetary resources to having somebody who gives you a car to give you a ride to get it taken care of to, as you said, uh, having an address to have you uh, receive the envelope from the DMV or whoever it is who who may have given you a ticket. Well, uh, we're going to take our break now. This is Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. My guest again, Allison Hurst from Safe Place for Youth. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter, my guest, Allison Hurst from Safe Place for Youth. And um, just wanted to talk again about what we can do as a community to, uh, to address these problems, because we clearly have the resources available to, to do this and to uh, solve these problems. And I think that it's, it takes everybody being engaged. And I, I know that I've kind of put my toe into the water in part because of seeing the great work that you're doing. Um, but uh, why don't you uh, address that, Allison, for us and how you see people can get involved in this? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm really I'm super happy you brought that up because I think we can use you and your company as an example. You know, you, you got behind the issue. You heard more. You you unpacked what the issue was about. You figured out what piece and what piece you couldn't be involved in. And you focused on the piece that you knew you could have an impact with. So and knowing that there are, you know, that hundreds of thousands of other people with resources that can join this fight. You know, it's not going to be resolved by one organization or one system or one government system. I mean, it's just not, that's not going to happen. It's going to take each and every one of us to at some point come to the resolution that these are our neighbors, these are our community, the young people and the single adults and the families that are falling into homelessness are our responsibility. And, and the solution is housing and resources and the impact impacts all of us. It's The impact is not just with the folks that are experiencing homelessness. You know, we are all impacted by the outward expression of homelessness. You know, we are walking through the streets witnessing the degradation that that folks are are experiencing on the our streets and and how you know the 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 deeper you fall into homelessness, how that impacts your mental health and well-being um, and your um your participation in substance abuse. You know, it's it's and recognizing that until we address that, none of us can be well. It has to be all of us. It can't be just some of us. And, you know, that er- that everybody, I truly believe, and I think I am an example of that, everybody in our community has something to offer, whether it's time by coming to, you know, make pack lunches or whether you got money and you can give money or you can employ someone, you can give somebody a chance to put, potentially has a record who you could you could employ and overlook some of the challenges or if you're a if you're a property owner accept you know somebody a, a new tenant that doesn't necessarily have all of the things that you know landlords tend to look for now you know and 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 also if you're a neighbor and you hear 
that somebody wants to open more residential um, units or um, housing of any kind for our unhoused members to say, yes, I want this in my neighborhood because I don't want to continue to walk through the streets and seeing folks in that environment and really their lives are being destroyed before our eyes. And that kind of the, the, the juxtaposition between what, what most of us have in our, in our, um, in our houses and our lives with those that are on the street that have nothing. Well, that's uh, well said. And I guess uh, one thing that struck me as you were talking was the, the uh, mental health aspect of it. And that I've, read that if anybody, even the most mentally healthy person, was out on the streets for seven years, they would develop some form of mental illness. So I think that the sooner that we address these problems, we, uh, we address the cost of this as a society as well. So you look at the cost of having thousands and tens of thousands of people develop mental illness while they're out on the streets is going to have a cost for us as a community. So if you're even looking at it just from a bean counting perspective, it has an effect on everybody. And we, of course, uh, there's a human component to it as well, but it, it, uh, it spreads, it metastasizes it. Uh, um, and as you said, it just leaves less room in our um, mental health facilities uh, for, for other people. If, if we're pouring in people from um, having suffered homelessness. So yeah. if we can solve that problem, we solve all kinds of other problems that are related to it. Yeah. And you raise a good point. And when we think about it, it's how we as a culture start to think about mental health and wellness and, and, and how we destigmatize it and, um, and think about how you know what are the what are the, the the determinations of health like what what are the pieces that everybody needs to be able to access access to be well you know good food shelter access to you know getting enough hours of sleep every night you know all of those things are denied people on the streets completely denied and so there's no there's the, that that is the reason why their mental health further spirals. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, uh, 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 something that we as a culture need to think about. What do we, what do we want for our culture? What do we want for our community? Um, and it's something that my organization is very much involved in. We just hired a bunch of what we call community ambassadors, um, through the department of mental health. And they're not, you know, clinicians or psychiatrists, which clinicians and psychiatrists are amazing, but they're not needed to do this kind of engagement piece where, you know, it's really about creating connection and caring connection and a, and a sense of being kind of seen and heard. And that's what these community ambassadors have been hired to do. Well, I think, you know, trying to give the listener a little bit of the mind's eye picture of what it's like going in Allison's organization at SPY and having been there, I could see, I can tell you that there are lots of youth all over there and there is a lot of joy there. There's a lot of acceptance and love. And I think that that's what you have emanated. And that's kind of at the core of who you are and what is it so attractive that kind of mom energy 
to those homeless youth that they just feel that somebody cares about them, that somebody loves them. And that for somebody who is out on the streets, it could be very easy to feel that nobody cares about you and nobody loves you. And that that to me is the energy that has driven your, your organization to just blossom in the way that it has. Thank you for bringing that up. It's, you know, it's all about love. And I think we, we have got so clinically focused and, um, and, you know, the way that we deliver services to folks who are mentally ill is all about, you know, clinical work and really what promotes wellness is connection and love. And that's what it all comes down to. I think we're afraid to talk like that because it feels a little mushy. But um, I think it's so it's so important. It's hard to it's hard to um, fund love. That's what I found. Um, it's that you know the very beginning uh, it was you know money was not pouring out to fund love, and I think as people started to see um, the impact of, of 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 ensuring that people feel seen and loved, that you know more and more organizations, funders, individual people see the value in that. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that piece up. Well, I, I saw it uh, in the in the simplest of things that uh, uh, the kids had access to some warm food, some socks, some shoes that you had available for them, some clothes, uh, a, a shower, uh, a place for them to just be themselves and and say in a safe place, literally a safe place for youth, for them to just kind of decompress because the streets are not a very safe place for youth. So, you know, that that is an, a magical thing for you have created this oasis for for those kids to land. And then from there, they get engaged with a case manager. They get uh, opportunities to see counselors, they get employment, they get housing, and they get their lives back together, which is the miracle of of what you do. And I think that's um, uh, that's priceless. And maybe you can just kind of end the show talking about what the transformations that you've seen in some of the youth that uh, you've worked with. Yeah, you talk about miracles, and, and to get to do this job every day and see the transformation that happens before your eyes when somebody has access to a space where they're safe so they get enough sleep, access to healthy, regular food, access to people that love them, access to somebody that's going to help them put together the building blocks to go back to school or get employment or retain employment, and then maybe eventually get a set of keys to their own front door. It is, it's been an absolute joy and a wonder to see how people who've been held down so firmly move up and thrive. It is, it's, it doesn't matter how many times you see it, it's as awesome every single time and it's awe inspiring every single time. Um, the, the incredible innate resiliency that that we see in young people. And, you know, I often say to folks, I, you know, all of our unhoused um, street um, community 
need resources and need support. But if we do not start with our young people, we are perpetuating this system because they are the ones that end up becoming chronically homeless. They're the ones that end up, again, experiencing homeless. If they experience homelessness with their families, they then end up experiencing homelessness. So we've, we've got to look at breaking this cycle of, of, of poverty and homelessness. So, um, yeah, and we know how to do it. We know how to do it. We know we know it's about housing. We know it's about creating spaces for people to belong and heal. And we know we have the resources. You know, we are one of the wealthiest countries in the world and we have the resources. It's about the willingness to want to do it and take responsibility for our unhoused um, community members. Well, thank you again, Allison, for being on the show. and. Uh... I encourage everybody to look, as you said, to see how they can contribute their gifts to to help solve this problem. And um, so you've been listening to Unite and Heal America with your host, Matt Mattern and Allison Hurst from Safe Place for Youth. We look forward to having you back next week.